Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast. After a couple weeks of not doing it, I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is one of my best friends. How nice. Uh, Adrian Kelly. Kelly is a manager of bands. He also used to be in my band, I Exist, and plays in a band called Beerwolf. Um, Yeah, looks after lots of bands, does lots of music things, Um, you know, gets drunk a bunch, pretty cool guy. Um, So I thought I'd talk to him. As is usual with doing these conversations with people you know very well, there's a bunch of weird questions that I already know the answer to, and there's a bunch of you know, silly background stuff, but hopefully this uh, conversation illuminates the professional side of Kelly's career that uh, is actually considerably interesting as opposed to the bizarre personal relationship that he and I have. Um, But yeah, so that's this episode. It's pretty awesome. Good little chat. Got some more coming up soon. As always, check out the other podcasts on the Earbuds Network, which I'm frothing to be a part of um streaming all over the place a bunch more places now thanks to them so big cheers to that you can listen to this in a number of different places just search oblivious maximus much like that subscribe to us on itunes and soundcloud and look us up on the socials and interact again i assure you there's more stuff coming it's just a little bit infrequent at the moment with some real life sit shows going on um but yeah Otherwise, new Mental Cavity record, Aneurysm, comes out on 27th of October on EVP Recordings, which we're very stoked on. You can pre-order that through their website. You can listen to some of the songs on the internet now that have come out. But yeah, it'll be out really soon. We're playing some shows after that to launch it. Um, Head to our Facebook and stuff for more details on that. That's Mental Cavity. I exist to chillin'. Otherwise, I'm just living. Um, in the meantime, please enjoy episode 72 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Adrian Kelly of Beerwolf and looking after bands. What a dickhead. Fucking brutal. I have, dare say, never used for you in my life. How Hi. are you? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for having me in your home. No worries. My bedroom is ready for me. Ah, uh, it's not right now, actually. <laughs> it's now the wife's cupboard. That was a nod to you, Casey. Um, yeah, thanks for doing the podcast. Look at us go. Um, okay, how did you get into music? Oh my god Um, it is my mum's fault And she Uh, as long as I can remember Has always been rabbiting on about Uh, anything really Like, a song would come on the radio on 101.7 or something And she'd be like, who is this? I don't know mum 
it's Jefferson Airplane. What year did it come out? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm nine. So you got into music through pub trivia, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and she would do that all the time um, and, and still does. Yeah. And is like really devastated when I don't know that uh, it's Tchaikovsky's 17th um, as done by the Prague Philharmonic. But does she know that? She somehow knows it all. Wow. Or like, uh, obviously this is Led Zeppelin, uh, but this is one of the John Peel demos. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And then she gets real mad that I now work in music. I didn't know that your mum was like a Discogs <laughs> Yeah, she's a total, total nerd. Um, That's interesting. That's yeah. a whole new light. Yeah, total, total ridiculous um, person. And, um, uh, but yes, I, the first things I pretty much remember her playing in the car would be, uh, Faith No More, um, Epic mm-hmm. around then, uh, Michael Tun on Triple J or whatever it was at the time. She was a big fan of all that. Yeah. So there'd be, I think I tuned into the, the rock music she was playing right. on in, in the car. So, and, yeah. and then my dad has absolutely no... Uh, no ears, no interest, no anything. We'll occasionally try and chime in with like, don't you know this old Irish folk song? Because that's about where his interest in music started and finished, being a farmer from Ireland. How old is your dad, though? He is 67. See, I, like, my... My, and obviously well older, but like my mum's whole thing with my opal was like, oh, your opal loved music. And the music my opal loved was like, by no stretch of the imagination was it stuff that like other people would like. Like all he listened to was like actual like Oktoberfest beer drinking. Like, yeah. And he had like records of Oktoberfest songs. And it was with like, a phone. yeah. And it was See. like, who listens to this? Like, this isn't. Dutch Who's paper. making these records? Well, yeah, my mum would always say the same about my my grandma. Oh, she loves music and she asks me questions. What's going on yeah. with the bands? But, you know, she just likes chamber music, basically. <laughs> yeah. And so actually, a few weeks ago, um, she lives in a nursing home and doesn't go out much these days, has a computer at home, and I showed her how to use YouTube. I was like, you don't need to go out anymore. You can just watch all these concerts on YouTube. So she's just been this like 87 year old woman is just like, uh, philharmonic this and just sits there in a lounge room and watches stuff on YouTube. You've so turned her into a recluse. Yeah. I feel like she was already heading that way. So I just helped her, you know, you pushed her down. Yeah. Um, so little, I don't know. It's, it's always weird talking to people that, you know, all the answers to the questions you can ask, but, uh, general public i guess or i don't know whoever's listening to this at this point (laughs) just my mum (laughs) casey and your mum thanks thanks for tuning in to hear things you also already know Mm. um when obviously i know this you went to boarding school interesting fact yep was that uh by the time when what age did you go there how old were you when you went uh i think i was 14. Okay. So by the time you... 14, were... 15. I don't know. It was like two days before year 11 started. Okay. That I turned up there. So was were you big into music prior to going there? Yes. Um, I can recall buying the... Uh, I only remember this today because 
Casey and I went down to Manly to have lunch and the record store that I bought this CD at is still there. Right. I can't remember the name of it, but it was um, Shock Records Route 666. Like a metal compilation thing. And so it was like Strapping Young Lad demos and um, uh, Morbid Angel, Heaving Earth and all this pretty silly shit. And I remember putting it on my terrible old Discman-y stereo thing that I had in my dorm and it was that Nile song, The Howling of the Djinn. <laughs> and this kid in the like the bed next to me was like, is that CD skipping? And it's like, no, nah, dude, that's just George <laughs> Colias going. That's how death metal works. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was really funny. But what what was your what was your first foray into alt? Um, when did you realize you were an alt? I was an alt. Uh, it's all Luke Johnston's fault. Um, I think there were definitely like the school I was at beforehand, um, like skate punk and pop punk was big with the kids and there was like tape trading. That sounds like it was the fucking seventies, but, um, (laughs) like people had, uh, smash, um, offspring tapes and a side and then B side would be like the first rage record or life is peachy corn. And we're passing them around. So I think it seemed like half of the year at school were doing that. Yeah. And there was like a school pop punk band called Point Oh Five. And right. um, uh, I can remember distinctly thinking that pop punk was pretty crap because it wasn't heavy enough. Not that I knew yeah. what heavy was, but I just was like, who cares? Um, and then Pennywise put out Full Circle, which is a lot heavier. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. And then... I'd already been friends with Boo, like playing with G.I. Joe's or something when we were smaller. <laughs> and then at some point, someone had given him records and passed it on and he'd given me Demanufacture by Fear Factory. And so I had like a burned copy. When you know, like one kid at the school would have a burner and yeah. people would like pay them to burn <laughs> CDs. So yeah, I had this like a Kodak gold CDR of Demanufacture for a long time. Um, and then I went to that boarding school and there was one kid in our class of like 220 that I remember who had a yellow Mind Snare shirt. Really? Um, yep. And then there was like one dude from the South Coast who was heaps into Corn and Coal Chamber. And that was like it. Wow. And everyone else was Kaysan footy dudes from uh, Narrabri and Wagga Wagga and, um, or international students from China and Hong Kong who didn't and the guitar music weren't part of the alt culture no sorry so yeah uh, at boarding school it was my 16th birthday I think and Sepultura were playing at the Horden two nights later and so I had got a ticket I can't remember who got it maybe it was a birthday present Um, but uh, Boo and his parents picked me up from boarding school on like a Wednesday night and we went to the Horden (laughs) so I had to like apply for a special leave pass to go and how we went far, to the show how far away is the boarding school Not uh, far, right? it's at Hunters Hill so it's like 15 minute drive if there's traffic from here it seems like a bizarre concept going to boarding school and it's not like yep. on the other side of the earth I yep. thought that was the purpose of it was make you grow up well the year I turned up uh, there so year 11 um, I think in year 7 there were like 60 kids and that gradually built up to about 100 <clears throat> 
by the time it got to year 10. And so that was kids whose parents had gone or whatever who'd started early. And then by year 10 and 11, it was kids from every other school in the state yeah. who their parents were like, time to knuckle down or we got to get you away from smoking bongs with your friends. And so the year doubled in size. What in, was your parents' reasoning? Um, apparently I wasn't applying myself enough at school. So, um, <laughs> says the wife. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it's still, uh, funny because I was all set to go back to my old school and it was two days before term started and they were like, Oh, we've just got to go, um, <laughs> on a, uh, just, we got to go meet this guy. And I was like, what are we doing this for? It was like Australia day. And, uh, go and met the principal of this boarding school and I was like and I'd always been quite a nice polite child I thought and yeah. um, I was being pretty rude to this guy because I'm like why am I talking to you on one of the last days of the holidays at a school that I don't go to and then they were like oh you're gonna go here and they signed me up at the pub down the road from the school that afternoon and then 24 hours later I was dropped off that's bizarre yeah fuck your parents man <laughs> not a phase what was it, do you think it um, made much of a difference to your upbringing for those two years? <laughs> I can hear like laughing in the background. Um, for those playing at home, this is clearly a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, it definitely, I think the main thing I learnt from boarding school was an, uh, like an inability to take things to heart. Right. Maybe. Because it was just like 24-7 shit talk. Right. So... People teasing each other all the time. Yeah, and it just never ended, so... Well, it's, it's an all-boys school, too. Yeah, it was all boys, and it was the last year of all boarders. I think it was the last year, like, in the country... Oh, really? any school that didn't have kids that would go to the school, like a normal day school. It was all boarders all the time. Right. And so, yeah, you were just tormenting each other non-stop. So then when I went let out into the world and people are like, hey man, you're an idiot. And like, you respond with some high level burn and then they're like, uh, just, I don't care. And what have you said to me? Oh, I, some expletive about your mum. And I'm just like, I don't care. But water <laughs> off a duck's back. I don't know. I still think one of the most, uh, <clears throat> in our relationship, one of the most shocking revelations was when I found out you'd never been in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I could not for the life of me believe that no one had ever tried to bash you before. <laughs> Talk too much shit. <laughs> anyway, mm. um, now that we've covered <laughs> the brutal upbringing of going to a boarding eh, school. We have to have music practice, so I think I got a bass sometime did, during did, that year. Was, okay, so being a... Being one of what I understand to be four alts at the boarding school. Oh, yeah. What was being into that music and uh, obviously playing music like in that environment? Well, they... We had like set study hours every night. Yeah. Uh, and so you would go back to the classrooms that you'd been in all day, but now in plain clothes and you sit in your homeroom desk. The wildest thing. Oh, yeah. Ever. Like it was... So the most cool. degenerate, degenerate, like tracky setups. Um, and if you, yeah, uh, it was pretty silly. But um, so I think for, when it was year 11, it was like three hours a night. Yeah. And so we'd 
have dinner together, have a few minutes off and then go there at 6.30 and then it was three hours of study. Even yeah. if you were done, you had to sit there. Yeah. And I think, I can't remember how many nights a week, but um, the kids who did learned an instrument could go to the music rooms uh, for like the last half hour or whatever it was. Yeah. And so there were all these tiny little like tiny little rooms where everyone would practice by themselves and you absolutely weren't allowed to be in the rooms with the other kids. But you know, it's like some underpaid teacher who's sitting at the front desk. It's like a, like a movie when the people are sneaking in to to do a facility. And so I can recall a few times there was one kid who was playing drums and he had discovered the chaos AD record by Sepultura. And so we would try and play territory in his drum room yeah and so i had like this shit combo amp but you know could move it and so we'd wait till the teacher had like done around and was just sitting up the front of the building you know reading a picture magazine or something (laughs) and we'd get the little combo amp and run into his room and i very clearly remember hiding in the corner of the room like where the door would open back over me Mm. and so we'd be jamming it and there's a little pane of glass and you could see if anyone was coming and the teacher's coming and just stop and like teacher go Andrew you're alright yeah no I'm fine miss and shut the door and not see me because I'd opened the door across where I was <laughs> like <laughs> pretty stupid yeah but anyway he was no good at territory and neither was I <laughs> so moral of that story is leave Sepultura till after school yeah pretty much um, mm. that I mean that's like so, Actually, that was that was year eleven, and I do remember year twelve. We all had our own tiny rooms, and I still had the base, and it was lights out at like eleven. Yeah, and they had. I guess one teacher would walk around shortly after lights out to make sure everyone was in their rooms and you know not doing anything. Um, and then apparently there was someone who walked around at about three a.m. as well to make sure, which is weird in mm. hindsight. But um, I was playing bass, not plugged in after lights out. And a teacher knocked on the door. I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, sorry, is this too noisy? Which it's not, but yeah. whatever, no light. And then the teacher told me a story that the last person he remembered um, interrupt, like stopping from doing that after lights was uh, a kid who was in a band called The Cockroaches. So who... The Wiggles. The, the original Wiggles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and I didn't know that. They, they went to the same school, but yeah. So That's wild. whoever was like the guitar player was ripping on... Wake up, Jeff, or something. Probably Jeff. I think <laughs> Jeff probably, was the bass player. Probably Jeff. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, I was like, oh, cool, whatever. But anyway, that was about That's it. Funny. Um, were you? Did you do music at school? Like no. in at the boys' school? No. Weird. Weird that you were. Well, I mean, my parents had sent me to a boarding school because my marks weren't good enough, apparently. So they weren't going to let me do a fake subject like music. Music was like. Well, maybe my mum was. Just in a different frame of mind it became Absolutely. it became well yeah it became quite apparent very early on in the piece that the only thing i was good at was music oh, there you so go. she was just like you're gonna do two things of music in Ooh. year 11 and 12 like the first year of year 11 i did maths because i saw because in canberra you go to a different school for year 11 12 mm-hmm. and i went to the school and signed up for maths just thinking like if I don't sign up for maths, mum will kill me, I guess. Yeah. But I'm super shit at maths. And then I got like an E or something, like a real bad mark. <clears throat> and then they had the parent-teacher thing. 
And in the parent-teacher thing, they said to mum, I'm like, not sure why you've signed Aaron up for maths. And she just looked at me and she's like, why are you even doing maths? What the fuck's... Why are you even doing maths for a semester? And I was like, I don't know. I, th- I thought I did maths. And mum was like, we're going to have to put him into two musics. Like, <laughs> get him in... Get him to do as little, like, academic work as possible. I don't even know if they offered music at that school. Anyway... Yeah, I did well yeah and then the, like the entire then the whole rest of year 11 and 12 became so much easier for me because I was just good. like oh I just play drums all the time this is great now that I think about it I don't think they had a music program because how are these kids playing jamming in rooms then I, I don't remember maybe they did I've got a shit memory but um the school I'd gone to before had a very developed uh, music program and had this like wonderful school choir and when they'd have masses there was like actually sopranos and tenors and blah sure. blah blah and like angels on earth yeah like yeah. this incredible and like all the kids who weren't even in the choir were uh would have to sing as well but you know there were occasional singing practices but you know a bit more no you guys quiet like actually getting it to sound so great conducting and, it or whatever yeah. conducting there we go finally and, um, and the, the choir used to, you know, go to Europe and all this kind of stuff on like school choir tours, which sounds yeah, well. crazy. But, um, but then going to the other school, which was very much a, a football school, uh, they occasionally would do the practice. And so, you know, after school, everyone would go into the chapel and sing, but they were just like louder, louder, louder. And it's like, even at 15, you're like, that's not how... <laughs> It works and they're like louder and so people would just be like as a joke just like screaming <laughs> and the brothers were like yeah that's it boys that'll sound great and it's like okay and then yeah. they used to get us to do the same thing at the football games and it's just like a bunch of white wannabe Maoris just screaming um, yeah it was I don't know that's what that breeds into you yeah it was fucking bizarre so when did you first start playing with like in a band then? Um, after school, I jammed with Boo again. Um, we tried to do like, in hindsight, I think we were trying to do a metal band, but we were definitely just like learning how to play instruments. Yeah. And so it was just like, how many Grinspoon and any other drop D riffs can you play? <laughs> And, you know, absolutely rubbish. And then we found a guy who could play drums pretty well, but it didn't really work. And I think we attempted to play a show and it was a shambles. Where um, was this show at? We did one in one in a backyard. Wait, hold on. What was the band called? Fat Domino. Oh, um, nice. Keep going. And like, yeah, we had a kid who played guitar who was quite good, but like a total stoner who was obsessed with Pantera. So... He was really good at showing you how to play like, I don't know, uh, drag the waters. Yeah. But then it's like, let's write a song, and it's like, nah, bro. That's that like. And so I ended up having to try and write the songs, which is insane because I had no idea what I was doing, and so everything was drop B because I had a five string bass, and I'm like, all right, I don't know, it's what it's just total garbage. But yeah, we played in the backyard, and I'm pretty sure no Boo was definitely singing. And I think he drank like a bottle of whiskey in the 20 minutes that we were trying to perform. So who knows what happened. Um, and we tried to play at the Sydney <clears throat> Uni band comp and were just shocking first round and that was it. 
Yeah. I, the, that writing songs when you, I think one of the, like, the true, like, cringe memories I have of me playing music is in the, like, and I'm sure the other guys in that band who are still paying attention to music would agree with the same thing, but, like, playing in that band where we go and jam and it was like, yeah, okay, so we got, like, a Rage Against the Machine song down and we got, like, a Metallica song down and we've got a Queens of the Stone Age song down, like, sick we're a band like ah, yep and it's like nope you're playing three fully different styles of music that's fine and then it was like we try and write songs and then the songs that you write like like you said we're only picking songs that we can muster through in drop d or whatever on like the instruments we've like the squire strats or whatever we've got yeah and then the songs you write are just like this bizarre amalgamation of those we definitely had a song that sounded like, like uh, I don't know, 90s Deftones, but with like a scar bit because I was heaps into Real Big Fish <laughs> when I was like learning how to play bass, which is the most god-awful combination yeah. of shit in the world, but cool, man. I just, <laughs> like, who knows? The stuff that we had was like a similar thing. Like it was like definitely, I think like the only thing we could all agree on was like that we liked Rage Against the Machine. That, and then I was like going way brutal yeah. as playing drums. I was like, I just learned how to play blast beats. So I was like every single song, people of the sun, no matter, yeah, no matter what <laughs> needs a blast beat in it. And then like, that's you know, a good rule to this current day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then like some, some of the other guys like heaps into like tool or whatever. So yep. they wanted to do yep. like tapping and weird shit. And then other people were like, well into Metallica or whatever, wanted everything to be like, you know, faster down picking or whatever. Well, and I mean, probably lucky that you figure that stuff out earlier. I was always insanely jealous of people in bands who would be like, oh yeah, this is our first band. Or like, we started jamming when we were beginning high school. And I'm like, That's fuck I'd... you, man. I didn't find anyone to play with for like, besides Boo, who'd been there the whole time. And like, we're both awful at instruments for so long. Like, couldn't find anyone for fucking ever. It's, I mean, I think, I mean, maybe it was your, the school situation though. Oh yeah, Because sure. for me, in the school that I went to, it was like... Actually, I did play in a band at that boarding school. Got, played bass with these dudes and they, we played two songs at like a fate somewhere and I think it was like, My Hero, Foo Fighters, yeah. fine. Um, and then a Rolling Stone song, but I don't remember, I don't remember what. And then we were, they wanted to try and do, um, fell on black days by Soundgarden, but from memory, it's in like six, four or something. Yeah. And the drummer and the guy playing guitar couldn't, couldn't figure out a swing beat. Yeah. And yeah. so like, it didn't even get to me who was just like, um, is it the beginning of champion by Grinspoon? I got that, but the rest of this shit. <coughs> yeah no good stuff so where at what point obviously so when you were playing with Boo after you finished school had you already started going to uni yeah I went to uni straight away and um, was that a parent yeah you gotta fucking go absolutely yep um, so I was 17 and a half sitting in applied economics <laughs> lectures that I had no interest in however the good thing that happened at uni was uh, met a good friend of mine Yannick 
Yeah. Um, and he was... So we're doing agricultural economics. Good that both of you are using that degree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so he... It was just... The first semester was... 2001. Yeah. So I think at the drive-in had just done the big day out where they walked off stage in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had the merch that had the boombox on it. Mm-hmm. And the other shirt had like a Trojan horse and I had bought the boombox shirt and I remember going to uni, maybe it was only like a week or two in and there's this weird kid with long hair with the Trojan horse shirt and every other person <clears throat> in the lecture is wearing like RM Williams because they're country boys. Yeah, agricultural yeah. economics. And so we became friends and still are. Um, but yeah, so we ended up going to like Manning Bar at Sydney Uni, had a really great uh, student union and so would have bands playing all the time at lunch yeah. and so quite often we would end up watching the bands at lunch and just getting pissed and then not going to class so as a result I, n- <laughs> I never graduated yeah. but watched I don't know After the Fall at lunchtime and Gyroscope and yeah. fucking Regurgitator and all this shit so yeah. it was sick yeah that's mad I think that the that's interesting like uh, I think that's the thing that a lot of people well particularly myself like I didn't have that because I was a part of the group you know the culture that's popped in Australia of I was playing youth center shows when I was like 14 or 15 a youth yeah and actually yes a youth not going there now as a near 30 year old thinking what am I still doing here am I gonna get arrested (laughs) yeah um but yeah like when Like that, that sort of, um, uni experience I never had because by the time I started going to uni, I was like, I don't need to talk to any of these cunts. Because you're age student. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I already have friends. I don't need to talk to anybody. <laughs> Everyone here sucks. Yep. Um, but how do you think that, like, do you think being a part of that sort of had an influence then on how you got into music further? Uh... Or do you think by no. that point you were already... No, I was just stoked on it a yeah. lot and was like cutting class to go and jam with Boo and um, <coughs> the, the Pantera riff guy, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, absolutely went nowhere in terms of doing anything creative with that guy, but like uh, definitely, I guess, learnt kind of how to play an instrument by yeah. making it on a huge racket in... Boo's mum's art studio every other day. Um, so, but, but at what point then did you, the realisation come that doing an agricultural economics degree wasn't going to fly? Um, I was... So I somehow found Bombshell Zine um, probably after like an After the Fall show and was, you know, on that infamous forum for a bit and I met Lucas at a stronger than hate show at the marquee in Sydney Um, and I'd like I think we'd arranged to meet up or something and we had and uh, went to that show and then went to like more more like hardcore shows with him Um, and then he, yeah, he was doing Rex Banner, so like a technical punk band, and asked me to try out on second guitar. And I definitely couldn't play any of that shit, but they were all like, 
very gnarly perfectionists. So uh, I can't remember who else they'd asked to try and play guitar, um, but it hadn't panned out. And so my like lack of skill was okay <laughs> while they were, oh, that's right. They're waiting for the singer to come back from Europe. This guy, Adam was going to sing. Who'd been in um, game over, but he was in Europe for like a year. So he had a year to get, get, get ready. Yeah. And so I gradually partially came up to par <laughs> over the over the course of the year as the rhythm guitar player. as the rhythm guitar player well i mean yeah that band was ludicrous though the riffs but um yeah. uh yeah and then that was the first like real band and then met a bunch of people doing that and going to shows and i threw out the agriculture because i was offered a job at mtv yeah um which came through luke logerman yeah um and so I accepted the job at MTV and was like, fuck uni. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do this shit anymore. Yeah, exactly. And so I went to MTV and from then other jobs and what I do now. Um, what do you think the turning point was? Was that the turning point then of like, I don't need to do this shit anymore. This, this will be fine. Or where do you think trying to make a career out of music uh, I was reality. definitely very lost. Um, when did I? Wait, when did you? Did I meet you when you were already working at Blunt? I have no idea. Maybe. I feel like I met you at the Canberra Rex Banner Four Year Strong show that Slowburn played, and then you guys played the Melbourne show the day after, and Maud's nearly burnt down the art house with a bunch of fireworks, and we lit firecrackers up in Canberra too. Yes. Um, yeah, um, that was stupid. Maybe, I, I don't know. I feel like BGO was obviously a thing by that point. I, I don't feel know. like I, I met you through it. Anyway. 2008. But when did you stop working at MTV? Um, I'm pretty sure I worked at MTV some like 2006, 2007-ish. Mm-hmm. And Lifetime came out and... I broke my knee doing a headwalk at the show on that tour, which was the end of 2007. And then I started a blunt early 2008 because yeah, I went to the interview with like my leg in a giant splint <laughs> and they were like, um, what? It's like, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, oh, you, you want me to work on your alternative music magazine? <laughs> I did this injury in a really stupid alternative music fashion. So and it's now affected your life well into your thirties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I couldn't walk all the, earlier this week, so that's good. Um, no, that, no, that's probably around the time that I met you then. But when um, was... So, okay, I guess, working at MTV, how did that transition into working at the Blunt? Because I feel like for me as an outsider, that's when you sort of had your fucking... <laughs> that's That was when your career started, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, so... New Matt Reeky, I again, I don't know how. I think there was like a lot of um a lot of just going out drinking with yeah. And you know like know lots of 80% of the people Yeah, but like <laughs> I mean now as a 34-year-old, I go out drinking occasionally, but like yeah. 10 years ago, we were getting pissed all the fucking time. Yeah. Um and just going to shows as much as possible, and I think it was just meeting Loads of people through that. I'm sure I met Riki through like boo at a 
Bronx show or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, he, I think Luke already wrote for Blunt and so he probably introduced us as well or something like that. And um, he had randomly called me because the, I think I'd just done my knee and I, so I wasn't, and I wasn't going back to work at MTV. And he'd said that their ad manager had quit. I think that was the timeline. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll have a go. Like, I don't know what that means, but whatever. And I'd just been writing, I'd been doing reviews for Drum Media, um, the old Sydney Street Press, which Lachlan Marks had hooked me up with. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I went and got the ad manager job and did that for a bit. And pretty soon into doing the ad manager job, just because I was into it, I was doing writing for Blunt. And um, whenever it was, Matt decided he was going to step down. Um, and I think he said, recommended that I should take over to the bosses. Yeah. And that happened. And then, yeah, I did that for a bit. Then I was offered a job in London. Um, and then Amy took over. And yeah. yeah. But it was do you think was blunt like the turning point for you in terms of like because i think a big thing for other i guess other people i've talked to on this and other i guess obviously our common friendship group is that there is like a weird you know this is not like a an industry that exists as part of like cool with your parents or finishing school or whatever it's like you everyone falls into this by accident almost like i would say there's very few people and certainly very few people who have done this podcast with that have gone to school or like learnt about music yeah like almost everyone gets into it from playing in a band or knows somebody or this was their well, first so like, job and it just you know so like how how do i manage bands then yeah um i was in rex banner and i was the one pushing I think it was the timeline I think I was the one who was like the most active with like harassing promoters for shows yeah. and Talk, book, booking the van pushing shit on the internet and stuff like yeah. that as well just just that kind of stuff and I remember um, so Brad Smith from Heroes for Hire hit me up and he was like it's like a Sydney pop punk band and he was like we need a manager and I was like I remember saying who cares? You don't need a manager. Just fucking do it yourself. It's real easy. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. And goes away. And um, a few months later, he's like, this is our new song. We still need a manager. And they, it was like this really great, um, cheesy, newfound glory type pop punk song. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is really good. And you want me to be your manager, which I have no idea what that means, but okay. And um, my friend Cam Chambers was working at destroy all lines i think at the time mm-hmm. as a booking agent and he had been booking rex banner and i was like and you know amity and all these other bands that actually did stuff mm. um and i was like listen to this song they want me to manage them i don't actually know what that means yeah should we do it how do we do it do you want to do it sure it can't be that hard can it <laughs> and he was like yeah fuck i don't know <laughs> and um we had a go with heroes um and you know probably made every mistake possible doing that um and you know at the same time also working at blunt and you know meeting more people through blunt you know it's a pretty small 
world now, but it was even smaller then. You know, yeah. there was like uh, Soundwave was just starting. Uh, Destroyer Lines were touring people. Blue Murders touring people. Um, was that it? I don't know. Maybe there's like Frontier would occasionally tour someone relevant to that world. Yeah. Uh, I'm there wasn't was that much to work with. In yeah, terms like, of like, and you know, label-wise, there's like uh, Shock. There was Stomp. Yeah. There was Resist. Uh, trial and Error. Um, washed Up. I mean, I'm probably forgetting things like P Records and stuff, but there weren't, you know, but there weren't like hundreds of people and like, how am I going to infiltrate this stuff? Yeah. It's like, if you're going to put on a show in Adelaide, how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to ask footy yeah. and see how you go. Where are you going to play in Melbourne? The Art House. Oh, wait, maybe the Evelyn. No, yeah. probably the Art House. Yeah. Is there anywhere else? Oh, you could, play it, you could play it bang or <laughs> underneath the Espy. No, okay. Where are you playing in Sydney? Spectrum. Yeah, I don't know. Just a small little well, you know? Yeah. And, but, uh, yeah. So how do you... Like, I mean... Again, it's weird asking these questions because I was your friend while it was happening. But, um, like, moving from that, that small world, looking after one band, mm. how does that for you become something that you want to do? At what point do you realise, like, oh, this is how I'm going to make money? Um, or was that a necessity? No, so... I don't know if Heroes for Hire actually ever made us money, but it didn't matter because both Cam and I had quote-unquote real jobs. Um, and I'm not and saying so, in the sense of like, you are doing it because you just want to make money. I'm saying in the sense that like, at this point, you're well and truly not completing a Bachelor of Agriculture yeah, yeah. Economics. Yeah. This is, you've fallen ass backwards into this thing. Well, so... And you're an adult at this point as well. I think... Um, with heroes we're working with atticus um they had a like a clothing deal with them and dan at atticus was very active in pushing the bands and supporting them and all that kind of stuff and i can't remember how this even came up somehow the guy who ran atticus out of the uk knew and like this old bloke dale knew this other old bloke chris who was a, you know, the head of Sony in the UK once upon a time, but had moved out to Thailand. Suspicious. No. Uh, had moved, <laughs> no. Had moved to Thailand and opened a studio in, like, a resort um, yeah. uh, resort town. And they were... They'd been talking about how they were going to make... Bring some attention to this new studio. Um, you know, very luxurious, blah, blah, blah. And they hit upon the idea of getting one of Dale's bands to do like a reality TV show out of the studio as some kind of way to draw attention to it. And so they decided they'd ask Heroes for Hire to do it. And they're like, we agree. Yeah, I I know. Like in hindsight, this is fucking demented. And so I went with Heroes to Thailand and they, you know, did all dumb reality TV stuff. Like, hey, eat these frogs that have worms in them and this blood pancake and they filmed all this shit and I guess the series never went anywhere. The studio's still there chugging along. Like I think Hellions have done all their records there and um I think Enna Shikari and like Bullet for My Valentine and stuff like that recorded out there. Yeah. But yeah, that dude Dale was like, Oh, so you manage bands as well as doing blunt. Why don't you move to London and manage the bands but do it under the Atticus umbrella? And I was like, 
okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd been doing Blunt for a while and I had two roles there, um, the ad stuff and the editor position and uh, I'd been doing it for a while, kind of bored and also anticipating this like death of print that everyone yeah. had been saying. And I was like, well, I'm going to leave. If, if I can leave now, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and I'd always wanted to live somewhere else. So I took him up on his offer and moved to London and I picked up uh, Die Murder at that stage. And um, they had just put out Hate and that was doing, like it was just really starting to pick up. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in London working for Atticus, which was only a few months, it fell apart real quick, but like the Viart stuff caught fire really quick yeah. um, when I was there. And I think, yeah, the Atticus thing ended and I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to keep doing this because, you know, I know all these people in London. It's the same kind of thing as Sydney, I mean, Australia, the music scene for this kind of music is quite insular. Yeah, it's very you know, far, far more people, but still quite insular. Mm. And, you know, there's Download Fest is happening here and there's Warp Tour and there's fucking 30 shows a night and yeah. all this shit going on. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing it for myself full time without any other jobs then which is so early 2013 yeah and that's what i've been doing ever since yeah and so from there how do you get to now like how is the because now you obviously have quite a quite a few bands that you work with and they're um i came back to australia i think at the end of 2013 um and I don't remember the timeline of how the acts went, but like I started working with Luca Brasi. I worked with Grenadiers for a bit. I worked with Confession for a bit. Worked with, I partnered up with a guy in the UK, Imran Siddiqui. And he had some like contacts with like Japanese and European bands. So we yeah. started working with um, this Japanese band called Fact who are like arena an arena band in Japan and would come to London and do like upstairs at the garage, which is like 150 cap. Yeah. Um, right. But just doing stuff like that. And, um, uh, I'm working with this band brawlers from Leeds and, uh, yeah, Luca Brasi came along, make them suffer endless heights. Um, yeah, just, just keep plugging away. Yeah. Plugging away, making the odd trip to um, America to go and uh, go drink beers with people and talk shit and try and get on tours and facilitate label stuff and uh, doing the same in Europe. And um, that's and ha- it. How do that's you, it. How do you see your function then with working with them now? Like moving, going on, like obviously at a, at a time saying heroes for hire you were like yeah I'll do it I don't know what this means I don't know what the value is yep can I do it what do you see it as now uh this is a great question because my I'm putting you on the spot you are I work with <laughs> all these people I work with a wonderful gentleman named Josh Howes true who is from a corporate background yeah and he has told me multiple times you are terrible at explaining what you yourself do and or selling it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, 
that doesn't help. <laughs> what I fucking do. Um, but yeah, so I don't know helping helping the artists achieve their goals. Yeah, is what what it's about really. Um, whatever they may be, like in Luca Brasi's case, they had a really big twenty. What year is it? 2017, 2016. They had a really big 2016 and they yeah. did a uh, awesome European tour with Moose Blood and Pup and Turnover and it was like a month away and at the end of that tour it was like they got a, an agent over there and it was you can either go this way and you can be one of these bands that's away for 10 months of the year and tour really hard and try and make it whatever that looks like yeah. or you can you know give that stuff away and just focus on Australia yeah. you know they're older and they have um, partners and careers and stuff and they decided to go with the latter and so it was okay uh, this band's goal is not to be the biggest rock band in the world yeah. it's to keep doing what they do in Australia keep developing so it's like how do we help them do that yeah um and yes uh facilitating i guess but do you see and then but in that relationship then do you see yourself as like someone who's contributing ideas that do you see yourself as part of the like as as a manager like you can obviously just be the person that's helping them get what they want to get Mm -hmm. or you're actively contributing to what they're doing as like for lack of a better word like art what they're creating do you um, see yourself as part of that or no? No. That... I... I feel weird about managers that think that they are part of the creative sure. process. Like, calm down. But I you mean, like music. Like, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's yeah. a lot... And you probably know these people. There's probably a lot of people that work in music management that didn't come from it. They ended up yeah. in it because of they're good at managing people or they're good at yeah. talking to people or whatever. Uh, the guy who acts as our lawyer, he used to, still does, manage a couple of like Oz rock bands, like um, yeah. older gents. And they, but he came from it from like reading recording deals every day yeah. and pulling them apart. And so I remember him saying, so how do you do marketing for a tour? And I was like, how the fuck don't you know that? But then, yeah. you know, from, from the flip side though like originally like how the fuck did I not know what an option was in a yeah. contract but it's just horses for courses but yeah no I think um, uh, the artist should make their own art like yeah. if they want your opinion they'll ask for it but you know the the managers that are inserting themselves into their clients <laughs> lives like that I mean it's it's not something uh, you want to do I don't know it's just kind of it's kind of weird like well why are you doing it then are you doing it for the glory of the band or like start your own fucking band yeah. I mean I don't know what well, okay so how how then as well this as... all just comes back to me having gone to boarding school and being really insecure about everything <laughs> <laughs> how but how okay so how then as a, an adult who manages bands and works within music you are playing in a band with some other people now who do similar things yep as adults starting fresh yep how is that been as it's an actually really funny because um we figured out that because we have two actual 
managers in the band we cancel each other out right so you're terrible at everything (laughs) yeah yeah basically well we were for a bit and then we figured out a bit of a workflow and it's fine but um uh it was really funny and that band was great or is great what i'm talking about because there's no illusions of like why don't we write a bunch of songs and then we can try and support this band and then we'll do this cool thing and yeah you know it's like that shit's not going to happen just calm your farm write some songs we all really enjoy going to the pub so that is a big component of what we do and um and all like you know 90s skate punk so we just have a great time getting pissed and playing songs and then some of the songs weren't too bad so we played some shows yeah and it's fun but there's no like I don't know grand plan (laughs) you know like if we we got to play a show with friends of Rom and everyone fucking freaked out yeah. we're playing a show with Guttermouth in December and like I think our drummer nearly died and he's like a 36 year old man you know like <laughs> that's I, enough I have to say the first time we played with friends which I think you probably ended up playing with us I sure did yeah yeah um, I think the first time that happened for I exist was maybe the first time I'd seen Murph and Alex like actually excited happy about playing with a band that we were playing like i tricked these two punk guys like older punk guys into playing in it my stoner rock band and then we got to Full play circle. shows with friends or rum and it was like i love these guys like yeah. and i was just like ah glad you finally have me yeah <laughs> like, you're welcome glad i can help you guys out um all right well you got anything you want to spruik um you're a manager no, told you I'm bad at this. Um, <laughs> buy the new Cursed Earth record because it's going to sell out real soon. It's not getting repressed. Go on. Um, they're also going to take over the world in 2018, so that's pretty cool. 5K review, not bad, thanks. Um, cheers, Karang. Cheers, Karang. Uh, they're going to Europe with Make Them Suffer next week. That Make Them Suffer record's real fucking good. Um, Endless Heights are going on tour in a few weeks. That's going to be real great. Their new record is coming out next year and it's actually awesome. Um, Aversion's Crown is still the low-key death metal superstars Australia doesn't know it needs. <laughs> Big sell. you listen to it, you'll be like, Nile are good, but this is crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And all those promoters can fuck off. No, you're all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for talking to me. Properly. Yeah, mad. All right. Brutal.